welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about COVID. Um, I know you might all be. <laughs> we're, it's like we're, we're moths drawn to a flame. You know, we're sick of hearing about COVID. We're sick, about, we're sick of COVID being around, continuing to be around and getting worse in some places. But at the same time, we're drawn like moths to a flame to want to know more about it and notably to want to know how to empower ourselves and our loved ones against COVID-19. So today's show um, is going to be basically uh, two doctors looking at, from very different perspectives, um, the phenomenon of COVID-19 from a very personal point of view, how it has affected us in our practices and um, with our friends and family and so on. So let me um, introduce my guest. Her name is Dr. Selena Nadelman. She has a very interesting specialty. Um, She is a cytopathologist, cyto, C-Y-T-O, meaning cell, so a pathologist who deals with um, looking at the diseases of cells, and a fine needle aspiration specialist. So, for example, when people need biopsies, um, she is the one who does that. And she is very unique because she's one of the very few doctors in the U.S. to uniquely serve as both of these things. So, in other words, when she does the fine needle aspiration biopsy, she then can look at it under the microscope and actually um, tell the um, doctors, you know, the referring doctors uh, and the patients, what she sees. So it's a one-stop shop. Um, Welcome to the show, Dr. Nadelman. Thank you for having me. Uh, Let's start with, before we get into COVID, because, you know, I always um, like to start with, you know, what whether somebody wrote a book or they're a certain profession, I like to start with what um, got them, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. I like to know what happened when you were a little child that made you wind up as a cytopathologist. Um, So tell us about that. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Carroll. Well, actually, my journey was a circuitous one. It wasn't straightforward. A lot of my um, friends and, and colleagues knew from the time that they were little that they wanted to become a doctor. In fact, when I was younger, I thought that I wanted to be a psychologist. And so I studied that mm. in college. And I studied art and biology. And it kind of came to me that I wanted to be more uh, involved in the sciences um, and got turned on by neuroscience. I did research um, in the United States as well as, as in Europe. And in the end, I felt like um, I actually needed to go to medical school because I wanted to work with people. And while I was um, figuring out what I wanted to do, I actually started off in internal medicine, which is adult uh, general practice medicine, and found that it really wasn't for me, um, it wasn't the right fit, although my experience um, in residency uh, did help me a lot for my you know, future practice because most pathologists don't really see live patients. People know of them as, as you know, forensic pathologists on TV, like they you know, do autopsies or they see parts right. of people, but I actually see patients. Um, and so that helped me a lot being able to... Um, be calm and be able to talk with patients when I see them in my office. It's like I'm seeing, um, you know, a patient, you know, for a regular exam. Uh, so I can use that knowledge that I have in internal medicine with my patients in my FNA practice. Um, but I found that I really enjoyed pathology, which is the, you know, the study of diseases. And as an artist, um, I like 
vis- you know, things that are visual. So what attracted me was being able to see something and be able to recognize what it was. Uh, and, you know, a, a lot of anatomic pathology or tissue pathology is really about um, pattern recognition. And, um, you know, even though we're considered the doctor's doctor and we're, you know, laboratory medicine specialists, um, a lot of people who are good at surgical pathology or, you know, tissue pathology have a very good understanding of, of pattern recognition. So that's where it led uh-huh. me. And then because I like... Wait, wait, in, wait, inter- wait, wait. Let me just, yeah. let me just stop you there. Um, okay. So you went to Italy. You, you vaguely mentioned about going to Europe. You went to Italy and that yeah. was connected to... That was related to your interest in art or that was related yes. to something in medicine? No, it was, it was related what to my interest doing? in art. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go to, I had done a junior year abroad in Florence and I studied art there. And then uh, after college, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was thinking of maybe getting a PhD in neuroscience. I, I didn't know. I just liked being in, in Europe. I thought that I would uh, go there and maybe open an after-school program for children. And I also had an internship through the University of Rome, La Sapienza. And so I did neuroscience research while I was also studying at an academy of decorative and restorative arts because at that time that was really big, you know, like doing the fake marbling and all that. So I thought maybe I would go into that. But it became clear to me as I was doing research at La Sapienza that... um, Neuroscience research, although very interesting academically, it really, like, it didn't translate, uh, like, with people as much. You know, I was dealing with a lot of stroke Mm -hmm. patients, Mm -hmm. and um, some of it I was actually dealing with um, geriatric patients. Uh, We were, the the professor I was working with uh, was trying to reformulate the mini mental status exam um, for Italy, and so, Mm. you know, those kind of led me to go into medical school. Uh-huh. Well, that's, yes, the marbling. Um, there are similarities in trying to, in, in looking at marbling and looking at uh, cells under the microscope. So, okay. Yes. Um, so then, so then um, continue with, so, so let me give you, give everybody, um, my listeners, a little bit of your background. I didn't really introduce you sufficiently. Um Dr. Nadelman, uh, in addition to operating her own fine needle aspiration clinic and laboratory practice in Beverly Hills, she does the same things at um, Martin Luther King Jr. Outpatient Hospital, part of the hospital in Los Angeles. She's also a clinical instructor at UCLA's uh, David Geffen School of Medicine in L.A., and she is a uh, she's in the training psycho, cytotechnology consortium. So um, there's a lot, a lot of words, but basically, um, so, so, um, so eventually you came back from Europe and you went to medical school and you uh, opened up your own practice and then also you do the same thing at Martin Luther King. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us about getting to covid Tell us about, there you were, there we all were, right, before COVID came, leading, leading relatively normal, happy lives, and all of a sudden, um, COVID came into our life and yeah. has thrown everything upside down. So take us, tell us, like, from a more personal point of view, how, when you first heard about COVID, uh, how did you hear about it, what, what was the first impact on your life and your practice, and how, what's been happening since? So I actually first heard about COVID um, around New Year's um, because I was spending um, the kind of New Year's holiday at my cousin's. Um, his daughter um, had a bat mitzvah, and we were—I was there with my son to celebrate um, uh, in Paris. And while I was there, one of my good friends, her son was going to, uh, I think, Shanghai, and he had heard about this virus, and he was nervous about leaving and going to China because he had heard about this this virus that was taking over China. Uh, So that was Hmm. the first time I had heard about it. And then when I came back, and just before the shutdown, my friends in Italy 
were talking, you know, in in their chats, in their WhatsApp and whatnot, saying, or Facebook pages, how horrible it is, and that they can't go out, and um, that, uh, you know, and seeing, you know, it on TV, it was seemed kind of remote. Um, I My husband and I were planning a, a belated anniversary um, vacation to go to the, to go to the Amalfi Coast in April. I was trying to figure out whether I needed to cancel. And my, one of my friends said, oh, it is huge. It's going to come to the United States in a big, huge way. And it's going to affect you like terribly, which made me nervous. And I went to speak to the, the, um, uh, they had a Beverly Hills um, like council meeting, and it was the first time I had ever gone because this really like it seemed like no one really was aware of it, and I had to talk to uh, first of all the the superintendent of the schools because I said I, I don't think that we'll be able to come back to school. I think that this is going to really hit us hard um, because I'm hearing this from my friends, and they were not even allowed to go out at all. They were homebound completely unless they had to go to the pharmacy or the market or the tabakaya, which is to buy their cigarettes, or if they had a dog to walk it. And what's funny is that my friend said people were renting their dogs out so that people go outside, <laughs> which was kind of funny. <laughs> That's a great now, when idea. We went, I haven't heard of that, yeah, I I haven't heard of that yeah. in the U.S., but it's a really good idea. <laughs> I know. Right. Well, these, these friends so, in Italy... Were they were your friends in Italy doctors or no or not? One of them was a doctor. Okay. One is a surgeon. Uh, the rest are different professionals, and um, they were and in different parts of 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 Italy. Um, and mm-hmm. they were really. It was really really frightening and really really shut down. Like it was like not like. I mean, we were shut down as well, but this was very serious. They had policemen on every corner. They would give you a ticket if you went out without a mask or if you were going out without a reason that, you know, that they said was okay. So it was Mm -hmm. not, um, it was not, it was much stricter, which is interesting because Italians are ones that don't really like to follow rules. They kind of like to, you know, Mm -hmm. curve around them. Uh, But I think that there was, it was just, happening so fast and so hard, you know, a lot of people were dying. Um, And when it closed down here, my clinic at the hospital closed down. um, And what happened was uh, after they had shut off my clinics, the other referring doctors like the endocrinologists or the ENTs or the oncologists were like, no, no, I have patients that still need biopsying. you know, because really, cancer doesn't really care whether there is an infectious disease going on. It's still, you know, it still right. presents itself. So, um, and in my practice as well, it really slowed down to a trickle. But everybody I saw, which was kind of unfortunate, everybody I saw, whether, whether in, uh, at MLK or in my private practice, was malignant. Like, everybody. And wow. bad. Like, wow. bad malignancies. Not, you know kind of kind ones. <laughs> so I, now, I, I guess it's think, because people... Do you think that this was... Go ahead. I, I just I think that it's because why people do you think were afraid... Oh, well, I think that people, um, I think doctors um, and, and patients were just afraid to go out until it was like really necessary. And so, yes. you know, they they waited... Um, too long. Yeah. Well, not too long, but I just think that they just felt like, oh, this is really necessary. I do need to go see a doctor about it. You know? Mm-hmm. Also, the stress. Um, you know, people don't realize that stress can cause all kinds of things from colds to cancer, the change in the immune system. Yes. I, I don't know. I mean, like I had a patient who had a breast lesion, and when she was referred to her I guess, to a breast surgeon. The breast surgeon just wanted to do a video call. You can't really assess Mm. someone. Like, I can't do, you know, I can't manage my practice through video. You know, it doesn't lend itself. Uh, You know, psychiatry, psychology, or, you know, therapy does. You can talk to someone through video, but I can't do a biopsy through video, you know. Right. Right. 
So the, uh, is the Martin Luther King um, clinic of yours still closed? No, no, no. It, uh, it's, it was opened, actually, at that point when a lot of the other referring doctors said, we need you. Um, but uh, it started to really open like they didn't have it. So uh, I'd say at the, in, in June, and then I had a slew of patients because they had a backlog uh, of patients. They started coming in, but now I think it's, you know, it's kind of normalizing, sometimes busy and sometimes it's not as busy. How has it affected you as far as, like, um, I would assume you wear a mask when you do your procedure, right? When you're doing the fine needle biopsy. Yes. So in the beginning, um, just as as a doctor and as a pathologist, because we also do study microbiology, and so we know a lot about infectious diseases. I mean, I always assume that everybody has an infectious disease, just, you know, off the bat. You, you assume that everybody either has HIV or Hep C when you're doing something that's invasive. So every, I always, I've always kept my office very clean. After each patient, I clean it. I always have it mopped. I always have it. it you're assuming that people have, let's say, like TB. Um, so I've been very cautious from the get-go. But when it was first happening and people were not wearing masks and not knowing and not doing stuff, um, I wore full gear, like disposable gear, N95, a, ma- a shield, you know, um, disposable uh, gowns and, and scrubs and changed my shoes. Uh, even going to oh. the market for me um, because not everybody was on the same page with wearing masks and stores were not, uh, you know, putting in place any kind of measures, I would like gown up. I would wear two layers of clothes. I would put my hair in a bonnet and I would wear a mask at N95 and gloves. And then when I went to the parking lot, I would strip into my other clothes and take, change my shoes before getting into my car. Hmm. Because I felt like, well, you know what, not everybody's, you know, not everybody's being conscientious. No one really knows. And so who knows? I felt that the, actually that the hospital or the outpatient clinic that I worked in, uh, because I also, it, the, where the position of my office is, is in the oncology ward. So everybody here is immunocompromised. So they're very, very careful anyway. Mm-hmm. It was much safer mm-hmm. than the market. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, well, we need to take a break now. When we come back, we will talk more about uh, uh, the impact of COVID on the medical profession and also some ways for you to empower yourself against COVID and uh, some interesting findings that Dr. Nadelman has, uh, observations that she has made in regard to um, a focus of COVID-19 that is being overlooked in terms of um, how it is affecting patients and uh, not really being sufficiently considered. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where my guests and I are talking today about COVID-19, but from a more personal point of view, uh, and a diff- two different doctors with two different specialties looking at COVID. Um, again, my guest is Dr. Selena Nadelman. She is a cytopathologist and a fine needle aspiration specialist. And um, before we get into uh, um, talking about how the what people hear about COVID generally focuses on the lungs as far as the part of the body that's being harmed most. And um, you're going to talk to us about how we should be paying a little more attention to the uh, cardiovascular system. But before we get into that, um, I wanted to ask you about Italy. When you were talking about, because this is something that really, uh, really as a psychiatrist, it, it really fascinates and disturbs me where I see that we're going. Um, you were mentioning about, and I had read about this, uh, you were mentioning about how there were cops on the corners uh, in Italy and um, people, they were, you know, they were fined and there were much stricter restrictions um, than there are in most places in the U.S. Um, what, one of the things that I'm concerned about more than COVID is us giving up our liberties and how um, a lot of states, depending upon who their governor is and who their mayors are of cities, places are making very, in America, places are making very strict rules, and um, it's going to be hard to go back. You know, once you give up liberty and you agree that you should be locked down, you agree that you should um, wear masks all over the place and all of these different things, once you agree to that, and accept it as necessary. And I'm not saying right now whether it is or it isn't, but um, once you give up, once you obey to that point, give up your free will to that point, um, I wonder, and once the mayors and governors take that much power, I wonder about them giving it back or how, that, how you get back to a more, um, a, a more free society. So what happened in Italy as far as, you know, I know that they've had waves of coronavirus being uh, better and worse and so on, but what is happening now as far as all of these restrictions? Have they stayed the same? Have they gotten worse? So, I mean, I don't know exactly, like, exactly per se what they what happened during the first lockdown. I do know that they did have kind of not the same thing as our policemen, but people who would give you um, tickets for not wearing your mask or being out without uh, a reason. Uh, But over the summer, they completely loosened up. So um, as far as liberties taken away or or not being given, like the Italians will kind of like do what they want to do, which was surprising that they actually obeyed the, the, the rules of, of lockdown. Um, And I saw pictures of friends that were, on beaches without masks, traveling throughout uh, Italy um, without kind of the restrictions that I felt over the summer. Um, So they completely kind of let loose. 
They were going out and doing what they wanted to, maintaining outdoors. But but a lot of their culture is outdoors. A lot of the things that Mm -hmm. they do, just in general, because of the um, way that their cities are, uh, like they don't have as big of an expanse of land as we do in the United States. So, you know, let's say in Rome, people do not gather in people's homes. That's just not the way they do it because people's homes are small and they're tight and it's like living, I don't know, in like a really nice small apartment in Manhattan. And so they meet at places and a lot of the places are outdoors. Uh, they have pretty temperate weather, and so they meet in cafes. So this is just part of their culture, yeah. that they meet up, and they mm-hmm. go out outdoors to meet up. So they don't really go indoors. They don't really have people over for barbecues. They, this is not their way. They just, they, they just don't. So I right. think it was... It lent itself maybe easier to to do, uh, you know, to have gatherings uh, because it was automatically going to be outdoors. But they really kind of just, they went to the beach, they didn't wear masks, they they went traveling, and now they're back down to... um, uh, kind of going back on restrictions. I know that I heard from my friend who lives in Sardinia, her older kids, one one son is in university um, in the north and he has half of his classes online and then his high, her high schooler has classes online and then her middle schooler, elementary schooler, has classes in person but I have a feeling that they're also going uh-huh. to dial it back because their cases are increasing. So as far as liberties, mm. I don't think, I think that in a, like a public health crisis, uh, you know, you kind of have to like, you know, uh, heed to it. And then as things let up, they let up. I don't, I don't, I don't see that as a problem. Well, I mean, I didn't see it as a problem in Italy. Well, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I guess it depends on how long it go- would go on and so on. Well, let's talk about the um, this idea of the lungs versus the cardiovascular system and why um, you think that it's important uh, for us to protect ourselves against COVID by taking better care of our cardiovascular system. So when COVID started happening and we started reading about it, no one really knew what was going on. And I just, like you said, it's like a moth to a flame. I just kept on reading and I would read all different sources, you know, and I really actually reached out to my friend who's a surgeon in Italy because I felt like our news was so polarized that I couldn't get real scientific data. I just wanted to know just the science behind it and with no you know, bias at all. And uh, as things were coming out, I said, you know, the people who are dying, besides the elderly, I started seeing a pattern. I said, maybe, you know, it's our ACE, the the receptor, the ACE receptor that they are always talking about, the ACE2 receptor, maybe there's something with certain people um, have more of them, and maybe that's why they're getting uh, sicker. Um, And as you know, they've been talking about in the news, these receptors, these ACE2 receptors are where the coronavirus or the SARS-CoV-2, this new coronavirus, attaches. And they're found kind of all over the body. And one of the places that it's found is in the lungs. And it's also found in other tissue parts, including the endothelium, which is the lining of the vessels. So the lining cells of the vessels have also this receptor. And, you know, they were talking about, and I saw, you know, uh, on different channels about, you know, the pulmonologists were just baffled with all these patients that were being given a mechanical ventilation because they were not having enough oxygen. The oxygen status, you know, through the pulse oxygen, um, uh, was showing very low oxygenation and people weren't able to breathe, so they put them on mechanical ventilation. And in pulmonology, like in critical care um, medicine, what they use is they use uh, pressure and oxygen uh, percentage. So they give more oxygen and higher pressure as you... Uh, as the patient needs it. So if they're really low on oxygen and it's not 
perfusing or going throughout the body so that on your finger you can see how much oxygen you have in your body, um, they push more oxygen with higher pressures. And what they found was uh, that no matter how much they were pushing and how much pressure they were pushing, that the oxygen was not um, equal, like the oxygenation of the rest of the body was not equal to the normal pressure and oxygen percentage levels that they're used to in, in ventilating pa- patients. So it's called a VQ mismatch. And you see that in different things. So it started me, it got me thinking, there must be something that's inhibiting and preventing the oxygen from being pushed in through the nose and the mouth into the pulmonary tree to the last cell of the pulmonary tree, the the lung tissue, the smallest lung piece of the tissue is called an alveolar cell. And the alveolar cell, actually, its, its role is to pass oxygen from the outside air when you breathe it in to your vessels. So the smallest vessel that it comes in contact with is the capillary, and then it goes from the capillary to the, to the you know, uh, arteries, and then the arteries go throughout your body and oxygenate your toes and your brain and your heart and everywhere else. And I was thinking, there must be something going on. There's something going on between that last cell of the lung and the first cell of our vessels. And as time moved on, we were finding that patients, young patients were coming up very sick, stroking out. They had strokes. They had what's called pulmonary emboli, uh, which are clots in the lung, and it wasn't just old people. Um, and they also were grouping people who had more severe disease. You know, if you were obese, if you had high blood pressure, if you had diabetes, um, uh, these people seem to be more at risk at having poor outcomes from severe, you know, COVID. Um, and so I started thinking, what is it about it? So the endothelial cell actually does have this ACE2 receptor. And so as I was thinking about it, I thought there's something going on here. Now, our vessels are lined by endothelial cells, and they're not just to carry oxygen through the blood to the rest of your body. These cells are very specialized, and they also play a role in electrolyte balance, um, leakiness of your vessels. Um, they also play a role in clotting and in, in non-clotting and um, inflammatory responses. In normal people, let's say without you know talking about COVID, when you're talking about high blood pressure, why do we want to control high blood pressure? Well, what happens is the blood flow flows in a way that's similar to, let's say, your faucet. It goes down in a nice, uh, even stream. Now, if you have a faster faucet, like, you know, uh, or let's say a hose, and you put your finger on the tip of the hose, it starts to come out in a harder, faster stream. And that hard water kicks itself against the endothelial walls, which are the, the walls of the small blood vessels and larger blood vessels, and cause slight nicks in the wall. Now, if we didn't have the endothelial mechanisms that, um, uh, that work, uh, the, called you know, cytokines and inflammatory mediators, um, then we would possibly you know, slice our vessels every time we had high blood pressure and you know, bleed out. But we have these um, you know, messenger signals that once the endothelial cell or that vessel cell um, gets harmed, it sends out uh, messengers to come and patch up the wall so that you don't bleed out. And eventually that patching up leads into a plaque, which can then lead into atherosclerosis or the, you know, the, the cholesterol that, that, that can you know, block the vessel and can lead to, let's say, a heart attack or a stroke. And I think what happens is coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, comes across 
through our breathing. So we are just breathing in the virus like you would a cold or the flu, and it attaches to that the lung cell and then is transmitted one-to-one to the vessel cell. And it not only causes harm to the actual cell itself, by maybe making it swell and therefore you can't push oxygen across because now it's not flat, it's swollen and big and oxygen is, you know, it's a molecule that has to still pass through the wall. So there you're not getting oxygenation. And then because it's harmed, it sends out all these messengers that come and fix the harm but it kind of goes a little haywire. So you already are predisposed to it being nicked, like having high blood pressure, or if you're obese and you have already cholesterol building up in your vessel walls, then that just adds to this, what they've been calling the cytokine storm. And that sends out these messengers to bring inflammatory cells to the area, sometimes clotting cells to the area. And I started thinking about it. And as the months were rolling by and I was talking to people, articles were being written about what they saw in patients. And even in my pathology journals, they were talking about autopsies of of COVID-19 patients. And they were seeing clots uh, as they were doing things, you know, in tiny little vessels to the big vessels. And they saw clots from the leg and they saw clots in the heart and they saw clots in the brain and they also saw the cells that are not normal, you know, normally found in certain tissues but are associated with clotting factors in other parts. So I, I think that really the pneumonia and the what's called ARDS, the acute respiratory distress syndrome, is kind of a secondary. Um, a, yes, the SARS-CoV-2 virus affects directly our lung tissue, uh, and it causes an inflammatory response. But there's remember, there's vessels running throughout our lung tissue, these tiny little capillaries. And so there's a constant interplay between the lung tissue and the vessels. And I think the inflammatory mediators are causing that kind of over-exaggerated inflammatory response so that not only is the lung filling up with fluid and maybe then afterwards scar tissue and then you have fibrosis, but it's also affecting the rest of our bodies, which is really, I mean, you know, number one is more importantly, um, you know, vascular damage can really harm someone. You can, you know, you can either have, um, you know, a clot in the heart, which leads to, you know, myocardial infarction or a heart attack, and you can die from that, or a clot in the brain, which leads, which is a stroke, which can kill someone, a clot in the kidneys. You know, these, these are all things that are, has very, very dire consequences. So I started thinking about it yeah. and started reading about the, the dysfunction or the, the, you know, way that the the endothelial cell or the, you know, the vessel lining is being harmed and how can we take lessons from this from cardiovascular and, disease? Because a lot has been studied and about this, is this what, harm. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm, I need, I'm sorry, I need to interrupt you, but we will um, okay. give those answers when we come back because we have to take a break at this time. Okay. Sure. And yes, that sure. is the question. So now that's very interesting um, what you were just talking about. And um, it makes a lot of sense. And when uh, when we come back, that that's I'd like you to tell my listeners about what they can now do um, sure. as a preventative to try to um, make sure that their uh, endothelial cells, that their that these blood vessels um, are healthy, to be able to uh, to not stand in the way or not not have this condition, this inflammatory situation that you just described happen. So we'll be right back. My guest is Dr. Selena Nadelman. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask 
the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, and my guest is Dr. Selena Nadelman. She is a cytopathologist and a fine needle aspiration specialist. And um, we've been talking about COVID, of course, and and particularly in the last segment, Dr. Nadelman has been talking about um, uh, how this whole idea that I do, you know, I didn't know about that to some degree that, uh, I mean, I remember at the beginning that they were surprised, what you were just saying, how they were surprised that, first of all, that younger people were getting sick and very sick and um, and why there were, people weren't, patients weren't responding to all this oxygen in the normal way that uh, putting people on ventilators and so on um, usually respond. So it's very interesting what you were talking about, how um, more attention should be paid to the cardiovascular system, and in particular, um, the endothelial cells on the inside of vessels. So now... Um, tell people how <laughs> now that now that uh, you have given that uh, that information. Tell people how what this means, like what this means that they can do for themselves in terms of trying to uh, be a preventative. You know, I, I've been talking till my um, <laughs> till my something is blue till my. Um, that from the beginning, talk, telling people about the basics of of, uh, uh, you know, trying to protect your immune system, trying to do things, decrease your stress, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to base the bottom line being protect yourself, make yourself healthier uh, in all of these different ways, take care of any illnesses you may have, any, any predisposing um, factors that make you more likely to have a more serious case and all of that. If everybody just did that, there would be a lot yeah. fewer people catching COVID and, and certainly less people dying. So tell yeah. us now specifically about what you suggest in, regarding to, in regard to this uh, cardiovascular issue. So my theory is based on maybe if we make our vessels more resilient and stronger, that maybe we can avoid the really bad outcomes from COVID-19 infection. Um, or at least if you happen to catch it, it'll be lessened. Uh, and this, you know, the theories are kind of 
uh, you know, with regard to what we know about cardiovascular disease, which is like, you know, having a healthy diet, exercising, lowering your LDL cholesterol, controlling your high blood pressure. But I also found in certain articles that um, there are certain supplements that can help protect the actual vessel wall from, you know, stress, what's called oxidative stress, and increase the availability of this important molecule called nitric oxide. And and these supplements are kind of readily available, and they're not harmful. Um, You know, a lot of people take them anyway. And one, you know, this is a list. Uh, and you can you can find it under a lot of cardiovascular disease models of of how to boost your you know your vessel health. Uh, they include vitamin C, you know, between 400 and uh, milligrams to two grams. Vitamin D, magnesium, CoQ10, flavonoids found in black tea, purple grapes, natural cocoa, resveratrol, which is that big antioxidant, you know, found in you know the 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 French uh, a paradox, you know, in red wine as well as in purple grapes um, and vitamin E. Um, uh, so these are things that I think that we all can take and perhaps, you know, protect ourselves um, just a little bit from, you know, really bad outcomes. Yes, absolutely. And these are things that, I mean, it's really, first of all, they're not very expensive. So anybody can um, can go to the store. You don't need a prescription. And um, and take uh, one or two or more of them as, as like a precaution when you go when you go out the door. If you well, if you go out the door, even if you don't go out the right. door, and you're just at home and you're trying to keep your system healthy. I mean, these are the right. and you know what's kind of frustrating is that um, is that in, as this for an example, it's not expensive. It's not hard to do, you know, one trip to the store to, to get some bottles. It's not a, you don't need yeah. to go to the doctor to get a prescription, all of that. Right. And then other things that are easy to do. And yet the, the sad thing is that so many people are depressed or frustrated or um, kind of in a blurry state and almost given up on themselves and their ambition and their hope for the fact that the future is going to be, that there is going to be life after COVID. And so it's really more a matter of getting people to feel hope and to feel disciplined, you know, to feel like uh, I can do something for myself. I don't have to be helpless in face of COVID. I don't have to sit here and wait for it to get to me, Um, you know. and, And so that's why these kinds of things are so important. Yes, I, I found that, you know, we're all waiting for this kind of like uh, panacea or like, you know, magic wand, uh, you know, vaccine to come or even a magic medicine, but it hasn't happened. And so I started looking into this because I felt like, yes, it's, e- it's easily taken, it's readily available, and you feel like you are doing something to protect yourself. I mean, these are basically antioxidants. Um, and, you know... It, uh, that being said, you know, yes, a healthy diet, exercise, keeping your weight down, you know, and making sure you don't have high blood pressure. But those are, you know, very, very long-term goals that, you know, for a lot of people, it's hard to lose weight. It's, you know, it's hard. You, sometimes it's, it's difficult to get up and exercise every day. Uh, at least with these supplements, it's, it's not as hard. And you do feel a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, more empowered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you um, had a very sad um, tragedy, well, sad, I don't know to call it a tragedy, but a sad experience, losing your father recently. What a time yeah. to, um, I, I presume that this was, at, he didn't die of COVID, but this was after no. COVID had already hit the U.S.? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, my, my father, I mean, he was... You know, he he lived to the ripe old age of 92, um, and he was in a nursing home, so we weren't able to visit with him. Um, and uh, um, it, I think that COVID um, uh, was, I, I don't, you know, it, he didn't die of COVID. You know, he was already kind of uh, immobile anyway, and so more prone to uh, pulmonary diseases, so he did die of pneumonia. But I think the isolation and the loneliness contributed to it. I think that perhaps if we were able to visit, 
um, he might have been able to push through it because um, he had been sick also at the beginning of the year and was able to push through it. I think just I'm sure a lot of uh, elderly people who can't see their loved ones um, feel extremely isolated and kind of that um, lack of you know will to kind of carry on or push on um, I, I think is probably really um, prevalent. Um, it was I I was lucky that I was able to actually kind of surprise him at one of his doctor's visits, even though the the uh, nursing home didn't allow visitors. So I was able to spend some time with him. But of course, no one prepares you for your parents passing away. You always think that they're going to be around. Uh, and, you know, even though he had lived a long life, it, doesn't, it just doesn't prepare you. Yes. Yes. And I agree with you that... Um I think uh, elderly people have this real, have suffered the most, not just from the fact that they were more vulnerable to getting COVID and it was more serious, right. more likely to be serious in them, yeah. but this this loneliness um, and isolation and the idea of you know when will this be over? Will it be over? What will life be like after the older you get? The less life you think you have left, the, the harder it is to sort of. Um, you know, push through it uh, because it just seems so overwhelming. It, I, I'm sorry, sorry of your loss. Um, Thank you for your loss, and I'm I'm glad that you were able to sneak around the. Uh, the uh, yes, however, but, you know it was still. Yeah, it was still frustrating because the hospital that he was at uh, when he did get pneumonia, uh, their rules were different than, let's say, the other hospitals in my area, and they did not allow any visitors. And so uh, even though I pleaded with them, I said, I'm a physician, I know, I know the rules, I please, I, because I felt that it could be the last time and that perhaps if he could see me, he could maybe, you know, yeah. perk up and fight through it, but they wouldn't allow it. They just wouldn't until, until he was already unconscious. And then I was able to see him then, but you know, he passed away soon thereafter. And so he didn't really know that I was there. Um, and I, and I, I do think, I think it was hard for him. Um, and I think it's hard for a lot of elderly people, even if they don't have clear-cut dementia, but they have perhaps a little bit more, um, you know, forgetfulness. It's hard for them to understand why we're not visiting and why we're not in person, yes. you know. Yes. And so it, yes. it, that was also very painful yeah, to not- have to explain why, you know, we couldn't visit. Yes, it's, it's, so, it's, it's very hard to explain. Um, I just wish that uh, I think some of these decisions that have been made, a number of different decisions, um, have been somewhat rationally made and uh, without taking into consideration some of the human parts of coronavirus that are just as important as the medicines and all of these other, the masks and all of that. We really, you know, like with the lockdowns, um, you know, there are human, human uh, collateral damage with all these different things that they have come up with to try to fight coronavirus. So I just hope that people start thinking more about the, the collateral damage, the psychological damage and, and how that is just as important as the physical issues. Well, Dr. Nadelman, thank you so much. Oh, first of all, let me give out your um, website. It's drnadelman.com, which is D R N A D E L. M-A-N.com. And you can Thank find you. more about what she does, um, all her different services and, and uh, uh, the news. And it's very interesting. I mean, it, this is really unique work. Nobody, nobody usually combines. They should. They should have thought of this before. But nobody combines yeah. this, uh, hardly anybody, <laughs> combines your a real niche of uh, being a cytopathologist and a fine needle aspiration specialist. So, so thank you very much for giving thank us you for your having wisdom, me. and thank you all, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 